can use this. Um, so the reading this morning is from Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, from the New International Version. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. If there are any young people left, you may now depart. And uh, may God bless you in your time together. So not many people are jumping up at that point. That's I have already left, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm going to invite Rodney uh, Bregan to come and join me um, now and uh, bring God's word um, to us this morning. I'd love to pray for him before um, he does that. Please come up, Rodney. Well, Rodney, it's been great to get to know you over the last year and evident for your love of God, but also for your love of New Life Baptist Church. I'm sure this morning you'll share uh, in that uh, and encourage us as well, but love to pray for you now. Lord God, we thank you for Rodney. I just pray that as we uh, reflect together, we learn together and we grow together. I pray that you will bless uh, the words that come from his mouth. I pray the Spirit would fill him and the Spirit would fill us through, the, through your power. Lord God, change and transform us, not through anything that is man-made, but through the power of your word. Amen. 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 Thank you, Martin. Well, good morning, everybody. Way up on the top there and down at the back, it's such a joy and a privilege to uh, be here with you today. I can't begin to tell you uh, what it means personally to be here uh, and able to share with you uh, at this particular time. When I look around, uh, there are many, many people that we do know and many, many people that we haven't met over the years. So just for the benefit of uh, those of you who don't know me, the last time I stood behind this pulpit to preach... This is not thinking about the funerals that we've been involved in. Uh, it was actually 12 years ago. So if you were here, then you'll all go, oh. <laughs> because it's amazing, isn't it, how, how the time goes uh, so quickly. And Terry, I have got the glasses on. Oh, Phil, yeah, we have given in in the end. Of them. Um, and that's been quite a journey, as, as many as you know, over, the, uh, over those years. And uh, in coming back, and Martin... Um, very kindly, and Martin, where are you? So thankful and grateful for your kindness and grace in, in welcome us uh, to preach this morning. The problem, Martin, is that you mentioned that maybe five months ago or something like that, 
So five times 33 and 150, I won't say sleepless nights, but time to think, what can I, what would I bring? What would I want to talk about um, here this morning? And Martin very kindly uh, offered the, what I call a freebie. In other words, I didn't have to speak on the series that you might be doing. But that, in a sense, made it even worse. I think, what can I bring? Because I, having preached so many sermons, and um, I used to keep them in an old shirt box, and they got this high. Now, of course, it's a file on the computer that's massive. So maybe I could just pick one out from the past, and that would be good, because all Scripture's good, isn't it? But I wondered what I could bring that was kind of different and unique to the table uh, this morning for us. So this links in, really, with a few months ago, Martin got in touch with my sister Shirley, who some of you know Shirley Blades and, my, and myself, about this cross. Because what you may not know is that this cross was actually commissioned by my dad. Uh, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was 1970, because I was learning to drive at the time. So one of my driving um, you know, practices was to go out to the village where the joiner was, was making the cross. So I know that was actually 1970. But Martin said something like this along the lines of, it's good to have things around that mean something, things with a history or a story to tell. Was that right, Martin? Something along those lines, which I thought was terrific. So in preparing today, I began to think that maybe there are things around here that uh, certainly for those of you who've come more recently um, wouldn't know about that have a history or some kind of story to tell, things that you maybe aren't uh, so familiar with. And actually, this is a very scriptural thing to do, because being good evangelicals, <laughs> yes, we have to have a scripture for everything. So the scripture that was read for us this morning, um, as we've read there from, uh, as it was read for us from Joshua, talks about the children of Israel entering into the promise and going into the promised land, and God commanding them, saying, set up some stones... And then in future days, when people look back and see these huge rocks, whether they were monoliths or some kind of, I don't know what they were exactly, then I've got some stones here on the screen to show you. Um, Your children will say, what do these stones mean? What is that all about? And then you can begin to tell them of some of the miracles. So my um, title, if you want one this morning, is what do these stones mean? And God said to them that in the future... When your children ask that question, you can tell them something of the story. So I'd like to tell you just a few things. Of I've got three stones, because it's a Baptist church, so we have to have three points. Three, three stones that perhaps tell us something of what God is doing and has done um, in the past. Three stones around NLBC and their significance. Now, there is a great risk in sharing this with you. I think, oh, here he goes. Rodney's taking us back down the past, down the sentiment. And I can promise you that is absolutely not the case. The reality is that I think it was Sir Isaac Newton, the great scientist, who said these words. I think he wrote these words, that we stand on the shoulders of all that has gone before. And I'm sure some of you agree with that. And in the scientific world, that is very true. And so being a scientist, he realized that when you go off to university or even you're doing your A-levels, you first have to find out all that's gone before, and then you can launch into the new, and you can make new discoveries. And isn't that right? Do your doctorate and find out something that nobody's found out before. But before you do that, we truly do stand on the shoulders of all that has gone before. And I think that's true spiritually. And having been here, come here on the back of my dad's ministry, who was minister before that, and of course the person before him, 
was our dear brother, the late Arnold Sunley, and it's so good to have the Sunley family here this morning. So we all, Arnold stood on the shoulders of who'd gone before. My dad stood on Arnold's shoulders. I stood on his shoulders, and I hope Greg was able to stand on my shoulders. Was it Greg? Not Greg. Glenn. Beg your pardon. <laughs> Thank you, Susanna. Glenn. Uh, and so it goes. And then Steve, and now we've got Martin here. But the point is that we stand on what has gone before, but then we move into what God has for now. And as I look around this congregation this morning, friends, I absolutely believe that God has great plans for this church. And I'm not just saying that because it sounds like a nice thing to say. I believe it with, with my whole heart. So I want to bring these three stones to you this morning. And the first one is this, <laughs> just to go back to it for, for a minute. And we have a scripture here from 1 Corinthians 1, 18, that says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, this isn't just a nice lectern, and uh, my dad had seen um, somebody, I think it was Teal Osborne, that might ring a bell for the older ones who remember some of the pastors and evangelists from the 50s and the 60s, and he'd seen this, but it's more than just a nice lectern. It's more than just a good idea. To have a cross here today speaks to us of all that Jesus did for us, does it not? And so when anybody stands here to preach, what tremendous symbolism this is that we stand behind the cross. And by the way, there's nothing superstitious about the cross. Sometimes you see, well, not that I'm into horror movies, but you know, <laughs> that's what you do when things, you know, make the sign of the cross as if there's something intrinsically powerful in that symbol of two pieces of wood, which there isn't. It's not superstition. It's saying that this is a symbol of all that Christ did for us when he went to the cross. Is that right? You see, there are many great subjects that we can preach on. There are many great sermons, many great theological discourses that could be created. But at the end of the day, actually, everything has to focus on what Christ did there at the cross. Because it was here that Jesus gave his life for you. Isn't that right? It's here that he took the load of sin from your life put it on his back, and the scripture says he nailed it to the cross. You walk free, and he died for you. And friends, that for me is really what this cross is all about. I, I hesitate to say that I get a little bit tired of hearing about the Old Testament, having read from the Old Testament and had an Old Testament uh, text this morning. Because, but the reality is that to just live in the Old Testament isn't really where we are as New Testament believers. You see, if you get a hold of your Bible, two-thirds of that Bible, the Old Testament, was pointing always to the cross, to what Jesus did. And for me, I get tired of hearing about the gates of Jerusalem and the walls being built up and the tabernacle and the this and the that and the other, unless it points me to the cross, because that's what it actually is all about, isn't it? In fact, somebody said... Uh, and I heard it many years ago that in every book of the Bible, in fact, Elizabeth's dad, where's Elizabeth? Elizabeth's dad kindly presented me a few years ago, Andrew Jordan, a man who I deeply respected. And it's a reading where you can find Jesus in every book of the Old Testament. So in Genesis, um, Abraham says the words, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. 
In the book of Psalms, well, take your pick, it's all over the Psalms, isn't it? In Isaiah, we have Isaiah 53, the lamb who was led before her uh, shearers was, was dumb, and the, the suffering servant. It all points to the cross. And so I would say to us this morning, let's let the main thing be the main thing. And every time we stand to preach, and every time you see someone behind the cross, let's remember that's the focal point. There's oh so many hymns about the cross. The old rugged cross, Jesus keep me near the cross. Does anyone know this one? I thought of it, a very old one. I know a place where, who said it? Sins are washed away. Thank you, Alan. You're giving your age away now. But listen to the words. I know a place where sins are washed away. I know a place where night is turned to day. Burdens are lifted. Blind eyes made to see. There's a wondrous working power at the place called Calvary. So thank God this morning for this cross. Now, when Paul came to Corinth, he said these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You've got it on the screen there. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence of human wisdom, for I resolved, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved, I determined to know nothing among you while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's many subjects, friends. There's lots of Bible texts, but at the end of the day, Paul says, what I really resolved. It's an interesting word, isn't it, that resolved? Because it almost indicates that I made up my mind that when I came to you, I was only going to preach about the cross. You think, so what happened? How did Paul come to that decision? And without going into great depth this morning, if you look into uh, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17, I think it is, Paul came to a city called Athens. You've been to Athens? And um, if you read the story, he says he was moved when he saw all the various gods, because of course we have the philosophers, and Greece was almost the center of civilization uh, in some respects at that time. So when he came there, Paul decided he would kind of engage with what was on around him and preach a sermon. The interesting thing about that sermon is it's unlike any other sermon in the Acts of the Apostles. Jesus is never mentioned. I think he alludes to the resurrection, but it's, it's kind of... And some mission-type people would hold Acts 17 up and say, well, this is a great model of contextual evangelism, engaging with what's around you. Maybe, maybe not. I'm offering you a different idea this morning. Because do you know something extraordinary? At the end of Paul's visit to uh, Athens, the scripture tells us, I've got the verse written down here, it says, a few men believed. There is no great church in Athens. There's no New Testament letter to the Athenian Christians. And I'm just thinking, so that really wasn't the greatest moment of your ministry, Paul. The next place he visited is Corinth. And Paul comes to Corinth and he said, when I came here, I'd made a decision. I'm not going to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Does that, do you follow the, the sort of progress of that? And I'm thinking, is that what Paul's saying? I learned a lesson when I was in Athens. I tried, obviously I tried to be clever, <laughs> but you know, really engage with, with what was going on. And yet the consequences were that a few believed. And that's why he wrote these amazing words. When I came to you, I, may, I had made a decision that I wasn't going to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. One more thing about the cross Paul writes in Galatians 4 is 
God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a preacher here this morning and you stand behind this cross to preach, <laughs> I think it's important that we're not uplifting ourselves, that we're not portraying ourselves. Anybody ever heard a sermon where there's kind of name dropping going on? Or, you know, you just think, well, whoa, you know, what's this person really talking about? Are they really glorying in God or are they glorying in themselves? As a speaker, it's important, isn't it, that we recognize the power of the cross. So this is the first stone, <laughs> foundation stone that we build on that is so important to us is the cross itself. And the second, very appropriately this morning, is partnership. Because I don't know if you've heard or been to another church that uses the term partnership instead of membership. And so you might ask, so what does that mean? What is it all about? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> Actually, you've heard it already this morning as we've welcomed new members uh, into this church. I'll be honest with you, I'd always struggled with the concept of this word membership because I don't know how many people here are members of the gym club. Any? <laughs> Two out of 200... <laughs> Well, I suggest you get... No, no, I won't suggest that. <laughs> Anybody part of the golf club? Or any other club? <laughs> so you pay your dues, you go along, and you receive the benefits. Is that right? Or the gym, or the swimming pool, whatever it might be. And so to use the same term, membership of the church, strikes me as slightly incongruous. It it's, doesn't really fit. It doesn't describe. Because actually, at the end of the day, we are all members of the body of Christ, are we not? When we are baptized into His church, we're, we're, we're part of that, that bigger picture. So I'm not sure membership really works uh, in that context. So a few years ago, when I was praying and preaching, and for those of you who are here at that time, we were studying the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Do you remember that? And one of the uh, chapters in there was about community and fellowship. And I was studying, preparing to do a word, and I made this, for me, was a light bulb moment. You know what a light bulb moment is? I discovered a word in the New Testament that just went bang. And of course, those that are here at that time can all remember what it was. Oh. Martin, have you ever thought preaching really is a waste of time? And people don't really... <laughs> And some of you are going, I can't believe Rodney's come back and bringing that word up again this morning. But the reality is, you are using this term partnership, and if you're new to the church or relatively new, you might be thinking, well, what, what does that mean? What, why do we call it, it, it actually partnership? And the reality, I've got it here on the screen, I don't really know how you pronounce it. Where is the emphasis? Is it koinonia or koinonia or coin on ear? Maybe not. <laughs> But when I looked at this, I discovered a word that is used throughout the New Testament. And I think whether we're young or old, whether we've been here for years or we're, we're new members, new, new partners this morning, I think this is a wonderful thing to consider just for a moment. A word that I've written down here that no English word can adequately convey the depth and richness. It describes the spirit of sharing, of joining as one, of partnership, of a bond so close, listen to this, that sharing and generosity naturally flow. It denotes a powerful union that holds two or more persons together so closely that the human yearning for relationship, belonging, and companionship are fulfilled. So we came up with a kind of a working definition, which you can maybe see on the screen there. 
to be joined to the life of another to the degree that your life and the life of the other share a common existence. Isn't that a great word for a new relationship? It's not just membership. Membership just denotes I'm, I pay my money and I go along and enjoy the benefits. The New Testament is so much more of than that. So partnership is twofold. Firstly, it denotes your and my relationship with God. 1 John 1 and verse 3 says, Our fellowship, our koinonia, is with the Father and with His, with His Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, look at me this morning. If you love Jesus, you are in koinonia with Him and with the Father. So close that you are in like that partner together, that, that bond that brings you together. But here's the important part. The, the point is that we feel what He feels. We see what He feels. I pray that some of the compassion that God has for His Word, you feel because you are co-joined with Him. He hurts when you hurt. Isn't that right? Because you have this koinonia, this relationship with your Heavenly Father. But it's not just that vertical relationship with the Father. It's also a koinonia with one another. And Susanna read this verse, I believe, this morning from 1 John 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship. Look at the person next to you. Not your husband or wife, but somebody you didn't come with. We have partnership. We're like that. That's really what the Scripture is telling us about what this word partnership actually means. The same bond, listen, that links you to Christ now links you to one another. How amazing is that? Let me ask you a question. Do you really feel that? Do you really feel that you're in fellowship, in partnership, excuse me, with one another so that we are truly one? When I discovered this word, I just, it made so much sense about what being part of a church fellowship is supposed to be about. There's a verse over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. And it tells us these words. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we weep with those who weep. Isn't that wonderful? If you're like that together, then when one is down, the other one empathizes and is down with them in a way. When another rejoices, you rejoice with them. So when you hear that somebody isn't well or somebody you know, is, is confined, then you, you, you try and help because you feel it. Because we're in partnership together. Is that right? But what about the other part? We rejoice with those who rejoice. Have you ever sat and heard a testimony of someone who's just got a new job, they've got a big prey rise, and you're thinking, hmm, it's all right for them. <laughs> what about me? Why aren't I getting the pay? You know, and, and, and in a sense, it's lost on us because we're not really feeling it. God wants us to feel it for one another. So we feel one another's burdens. When someone's down or weeping, we truly weep with them, not in a condescending way, but in a true empathizing way. I feel your pain. I really want to come alongside you. And of course, at the other end, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And that is actually what this koinonia thing is, is all about. And in a sense, that's, it's that verse in Romans 12 suddenly makes sense because God has brought us together um, in this particular way. There's another verse here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And here it is, listen. All the believers devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship. That's what these three people have done this morning. Maybe, I hope you don't have second thoughts, Smith, after you've heard this this morning. 
it's, it's that commitment to one another that says we are walking together as believers. And as was already said, it's two-way. So it's what I receive from the nurture of the fellowship. I'm supported by the fellowship. I'm prayed for. I'm visited. We have pastoral care. And all that, that's so important for this koinonia to work, isn't it? So, so I receive that. But also, I give back. I pray for one another. I'm here. I pull my weight. And I don't know how many of you feel this morning that you can give to the fellowship. I don't know if this church is anything like other churches, but since COVID, it's my understanding that many churches struggle to get people to actually volunteer for anything. I'm sure that's not true here. But the reality is that's part of our partnership, that we don't just come on a Sunday morning and receive, or we go to the home group and we take, but actually we're prepared to give something back to, so it becomes that two-way uh, giving. We give and we receive. One last thing on this uh, partnership business. Every time we come around the Lord's table, this is the same word, koinonia, that's used for fellowship, it's used for communion, it's used for partnership, it's all the same Greek word that is used. And here we have in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, when we drink from the cup, when we come around the Lord's table, isn't it a sharing, that's the word, koinonia, in the blood of Christ? When we eat the bread we break, isn't it a sharing in the body of Christ? And so by sharing in the same loaf of bread, we become one, one body, even though there are many of us. So every time we come around the Lord's table, in a sense, we're renewing our fellowship with the Father, and we're renewing our fellowship with one another. Isn't that great? How different should our relationships be with one another? How different should our church business meeting be when we are the same? Funny how people, they used to do anyway. Do you know that church business meetings, whether it's the Anglicans with their PCCs or the Methodists with their quarterly meetings or the Baptists, I mean, they are legendary for people throwing hymn books at one another almost, and metaphorically. But, you know, friends, we are the same church. We're the same family, whether we're coming on to the business meeting or we're coming around the Lord's table. It's koinonia from start to finish. That's what we're enjoying together. So may the Lord bless us, bless you in that sense of partnership, of koinonia to one another. And those who've been here more recently, there's no excuse now for understanding that. The K word, as we, as we used to call it. The last stone I want to speak about for a moment is the very name itself, New Life Baptist Church. I don't know if you've ever thought about what, what does that mean? Is that, people used to ask, is that part of some umbrella organization? And the fact of the matter, it, I'm sorry to disappoint you, it isn't. I have to say Baptists clearly are not the most creative people on the planet because when they choose the names for their churches, um, but there's a slight similarity. Shall I just name a few around this northeast? So we have Cambridge Road, Park Avenue, Corporation Road, Oxford Road, Valley Road. <laughs> it's not exactly creative, is it? It's not really saying a lot. And I remember years ago feeling like, well, there were two parts to this really. One, as we, as you are now, wanted to reach out into the community to have a name that actually said something or that, that meant something, if you like. And um, the reality is this church had been affected through my father first coming into what we described as the things of the Spirit, recognizing that the Holy Spirit had such an important part to play in church life. And the reality was there was a new life. There was a vibrancy 
happening. Anybody remember those days? And it was the work of the Holy Spirit who was leading and guiding us. So when we came up with a, a name, um, I'd actually heard of an, a church in, in Scunthorpe called New Life Scunthorpe. And I thought, I really like that name because it just, it embodies everything we believe, isn't it? If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. So what better word than, than new life? And so somewhere, I don't know if we've still got the minutes from the 1980s, um, this name transferred or transformed from or morphed from Valley Road, which is, anybody been past Valley Road and seen the old building there? And became New Life. But it's more than a new name. Where does life come from? Does anybody know? Jesus gives us the answer. It's the Spirit that gives life. And for me, many churches, we get into a place like the early church uh, before Pentecost, in the upper room there, a bunch of disciples trying to do your best, trying to have a witness, trying to say something for God, but actually nothing's really working. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and this massive transformation took place. Is that right? And Peter, from being this dithering denier, stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, folks, this is it, This, this is it. This is what was promised in the Old Testament by the prophet Joel, that in the last days God would pour out his spirit on men, women, young, old. Previously, it had been the select three, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And when Joel gave that prophecy, it was revolutionary that a day would come when God wouldn't only pour his spirit on the select three, but actually on whoever is hungry, whoever is thirsty, and that's you and that's me. Isn't that fantastic? And so Acts bursts into life, and it's one miracle from another. Just it, Acts, there's no book in the Bible like it. It's just vibrant with the power of the Spirit and what was happening in the church at that time. And friends, that, what, that's what new life, the new life of new life seeks to say to us in, in a sense, isn't it? No wonder Paul tells us there in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Don't be drunk on wine. Instead, read it with me. Be filled with the Spirit. Does anybody here ever find the Christian life a bit difficult at times, a bit challenging? I thought I would try a little experiment here. I don't know if this microphone's still on, is it? Phil, would you help me for a second? So I have here, Phil, some of the, um, yeah, you have that one. Scripture from the New Testament that tells you what God expects from you. Okay, are you ready for this? So He wants you. <laughs> this is what nice God, your back This is me. the word of the Lord to you today. Okay. He wants you to be full of love, full of peace. He wants you to be full of joy, and very patient. <laughs> How are we doing, Susanna? <laughs> and always good. And I just want you to react. How does that make you feel? Uh, uh, I believe I'm somewhere below the, below the mark and um, a little bit, yeah, I mean, failed, really. Really? Yes. Well, there's good news because it isn't just about doing it on your own strength, is it? Thank you, Phil. Your answer was perfect, <laughs> even unrehearsed. You see, friends, sometimes we try and live this Christian life and actually it is difficult because we try to do it in our own strength. And that's why Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter. And he has been with you, but he shall be in you. So some of you recognize some of the things that I was reading there to Phil. <laughs> because you see, 
the fact of the matter is, when I tell you that we need to be full of love, joy, peace, you say, like Phil, I, I, I don't quite measure up. Someone said in the Bible, and you might have heard me say this before, but I wonder if you can remember who said these words. How in the world can this happen? Who said that? How shall these things be? Mary, well done, Susan. Give the lady a brownie point. Mary, when God spoke her, his plans to Mary, her immediate reaction was, I don't know how this is going to happen. I'm not even married. How is this going to happen? And the answer was, what was the answer? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and that which is born of you will be the Son of God. And friends, this morning, if you're feeling like the Christian life is hard, I don't know how I can have love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, long-suffering, Faith, have I missed one? How is that going to happen? Same answer as Mary had there. I think I've got it on the screen. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and fills us. And that's why Paul writes in that preceding verse, Ephesians 5, don't just be filled once, don't just receive it once, but be, keep being filled. Because every day, like Phil, like me, like each of us, that's the only way we're going to make this Christian life. The Holy Spirit will come upon us. And friends, I just encourage us today to be living in that new life that empowers us and prepares us for all that God has for us. I really believe with all my heart that these stones may be that solid foundation, may be that launch pad into all that God has for us going forward. Let me say, never mind the past. <laughs> I represent the past, and God isn't in the past in that sense. God has a work to do right now for this church. And you know, the first time I came to this church and visited when Martin had arrived, someone met me in the foyer and they said, the buzz is back. That's what they said, the buzz is back. You must be thrilled. And I said, you know, I love this church and I love the people of this church. And I believe that God has great plans. And I believe that there is a vibrancy and a vision here. And I would encourage us to build on the past, use the past as a launch pad into all that God has for us. And so in concluding this morning, may our prayer be that this cross, the message of the cross, will be front and center in all that we do, that the gospel is preached, and that people are finding that Jesus is Lord and Savior. There is a place where night is turned today, burdens are lifted, and it's here at the foot of the cross. Not the cross, what the piece of wood, but metaphorically all that Jesus did for us there. That in partnership, may we be enjoying living in that koinonia relationship with God and with one another. Is there anyone here this morning and you really struggle to, to say that you have a relationship with God? The good news is you can. And there's a prayer area that's going to be open in a few moments. Don't go home without coming and talking to some of us down here and hearing what God wants to do, that your koinonia with God might be there and in the place before you even leave this morning. And thirdly and finally, may we live every day in new life, in the life of the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine what a difference it would make to North Allerton if this morning, how many of us are there here? 200? Imagine the difference it would make this time tomorrow, Phil, if 200 people tomorrow before you go out of your bedroom or wherever you go to work, 
prayed that prayer, Lord, fill me with your spirit today so that I can live out the love, the joy, the peace. What a transformatory thing that would be, wouldn't it? So why don't we just bow for a moment in prayer and say, Lord Jesus, here we are. We thank you for all that you have done through the cross. We thank you for shedding your blood. We thank you that you gave your life. You were taken and crucified, and we walk free. Lord, may there be somebody here this morning who feels your call on their life to surrender to you, to know you in that koinonia relationship. Lord, we pray this morning that you will bless the partnership here as we've seen these new ones brought into fellowship with us. Bless them. And Lord, may this really be a dynamic living experience of giving and receiving, of walking with you. And lastly, we offer our lives to you this morning and say, Holy Spirit, fill us that we're not living this Christian life in our own strength, but daily offering our lives to you, that living sacrifice that we might be filled with your spirit and that we might go forward each day. So it's not just Ian Woods tomorrow that's going out into the world, but every person here today going into our world filled with your spirit and bringing your kingdom to wherever we live and wherever we work. Father, bless this church. Thank you for the welcome this morning. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much.